I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey people, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be tactically previewing Arsenal's trip to Anfield, a huge game in the context of the title race, a big opportunity for Arsenal to lay down a marker uh, going into the final few games, an opportunity Manchester City will feel uh, to make up ground on Arsenal. That's what this weekend presents for them because Arsenal's record at Anfield, not very good. Arsenal's record against Liverpool in the Premier League of late, pretty poor. So Manchester City, I'm sure, will be looking at this fixture and this weekend as an opportunity to, as I say, close that gap on Arsenal and take things back into their control. Um, I say back into their control. It's been pretty much in Arsenal's control all season. People have been looking at um, Arsenal and waiting for them to falter, waiting for them to stutter. And up until this point, they've been brilliant. They've been fantastic. But there's some really, really difficult tests to come between now and the end of the season. The trip to Anfield is going to be tough. There's no doubt about that. The trip to Manchester City. Well, that one is self-explanatory based on what's probably going to be on the line. The trip to Newcastle. I think a lot of people are sleeping on the fact that Arsenal have to face Chelsea at home, who could be buoyed by the reappointment of Frank Lampard. Maybe we'll touch on that a little bit later on. But there are other difficult games along the way as well. Brighton at home at the Emirates Stadium. We've just heard at the time of recording or, or just before uh, we started recording that that game has been moved from the Saturday to the Sunday which means Arsenal will play that game against Brighton directly after Manchester City play their game. So Sky preparing themselves for a, a back and forth in terms of the title race there. Arsenal have to face Nottingham Forest away, a side that are uh, going to be fighting for their lives, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, we've got the game against Wolves on the last day, which could also be a team that are uh, struggling and needing to get points on the board. So there's a hell of a long way to go um, in this title race. And, and Anfield is the only thing we should be thinking about. It's the only thing we should be looking at. It's the only thing that we should be focused on. So on this edition of the show, as I say, uh, we're going to be tactically previewing the game. How do the Gunners win at Anfield? I'm going to be telling you what I think, and I'm going to be talking uh, to you about um, where I think this game will be won and lost. And I'm not going to tell you in the midfield or, um, you know, all, all the, the standard cliches that you get. I've really sat and thought about this one over the course of the last couple of days. Uh, we are going to be doing our preview show, um, our normal preview show, uh, where we kind of react to the manager's press conference, go through the statistics around the game, build up to it that way. We will do all of that, uh, of course, tomorrow, mixed in with whatever else uh, comes up in the Arsenal world. But um, I thought this game was worthy of an additional preview piece because I think the significance of this one is huge. If you are watching us live on YouTube, then please do leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. This episode is brought to you by the good people over at NordVPN. And we'll tell you a little bit more about uh, how you can access a special offer via the Chronicles of Aguna a little bit later on. Um, Steve Stone in the chat says, 
I'm no expert, but does scoring more than them help, Harry? Well, that certainly would help Steve in our quest uh, to come away from Anfield with all three points, of course. Uh, let me say a few um, a few hellos. Uh, who have we got in the live chat? Uh, we've got Trev. Uh, we've got Mark, who says, how do the Gunners win at Anfield? Simple, don't play Rob Holding. It's a bit harsh. Um, I, I admit that I'm not... It's not that I'm not a Rob Holding fan. I love the person. I love what he represents. I love that he is um, such a great character in and around the place. But in terms of his level, it's undeniable that he's not at the uh, level of William Saliba. And, and that is a problem for us. We've got Moss in the chat as well. We've got Kenny, who joins us from the States. We've got George. We've got Christian. Uh, we've got Harry from Cyprus. We've got uh, Kenny uh, and and everybody else. I'm not going to go through all the names, otherwise we'll be here all day. But uh, thank you to everybody tuning in. And of course, if you're listening on audio, don't forget uh, to leave us a uh, a review. Uh, big hello to Joey, who says, uh, Harry, this is my first time I've been able to catch you live. Cheers from Stateside. Welcome uh, to the program, my friend. Good to see you. Um, and thank you for being a part of the Chronicles of Aguna family. Right. Um, quick one. I know this is off topic. Who remembers these? Who remembers these absolute bad boy chewing gums? Juicy fruit. Found them in the newsagents next door to the Nighty Min studio today. And I was so gassed. I was so chuffed to find them. So uh, probably get through the whole packet on the way home. Chewing gum in sticks. Remember that when that was a thing? Legendary. Anyway, I digress. You probably don't give a shit about what chewing gum I like. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on. So how do Arsenal win at Anfield? That's the million-dollar question. Here's where I'm at. So I think the first thing that Arsenal need to overcome is the mental uh, battle that they are going to be facing going into this fixture. Our record at Anfield is dreadful, okay? You don't need me to roll back on the stats. We'll do all of that in the, the full preview tomorrow uh, where we'll break that all down and, and tell you exactly how long it's been since Arsenal achieved this and how long it's been since Arsenal went and won at Anfield. But there is obviously a mental block that I think this Arsenal team in the past have found themselves up against when facing Liverpool on Merseyside. And you'll all refer back to when uh, we watched the Amazon All or Nothing documentary and we saw Mikel Arteta doing that bizarre thing whereby he puts speakers on the training ground, playing out You'll Never Walk Alone, in order to try and prepare the players for what they were going to face. Now, I said this at the time, and I'm going to say it again, because obviously down the line, this fixture comes up again, and I think that the same applies here. I actually think, although I want to give credit to Mikel Arteta for thinking outside of the box and trying to do something that he felt was going to give his team even the slightest bit of advantage or reduce Liverpool's advantage on the day, I actually think he made it worse by doing that. I think a lot of managers will want to play down the Anfield factor to their players and will want to try and pass this off, particularly in the build-up, so that there aren't any additional nerves and there aren't any additional issues. I think most managers would look at it and go, this is another game, block the crowd out, block the noise out, block the atmosphere out, focus on the football. And when you look at the, the, the football that these two teams have been playing so far this season, there is really only one winner. So 
that's how I think most managers would probably want to approach this game. They'd want to play down their Anfield factor, not because it's not a thing, but because it will it will mean that it's not something waiting on players' shoulders going into the build-up of a game. You know, you don't want to have that anxiety or nervousness about a certain thing. If that can be taken away from the players, I think that's how a manager should approach it. But what Mikel Arteta did, in my opinion, by making such a big deal of it, was make it an even bigger thing than it was. I mean, Anfield's got a good atmosphere on certain occasions. People talk about, um, you know, the the European nights and, and they are special at Anfield. But if you go there and play well from the off, you can curb the atmosphere. And that is applicable in any football ground on earth, barring a few. You can go to a ground, you play well, the home crowd get anxious and they're not going to be as vocal and as behind their team um, as, you know, they might be if their team starts like a house on fire and goes 1-0 up within three minutes. Stan the man nails it in the chat. At Anfield, you have to score early and shut the crowd up. Yusuf says, lots of people online dismissing the Anfield factor. I'm assuming Yusuf is a Liverpool fan. He says, we've beaten Newcastle City and United there, even though we're in turmoil. I'm not trying to dismiss the Anfield factor. It is a thing. The point I'm trying to make is that when Mikel Arteta made this massive deal about it to the point that he was wheeling out speakers onto the training ground to, to play You'll Never Walk Alone, I think sub, you know, even without wanting to, he planted a seed in the players' minds about what a big impact the Anfield crowd could have. And they can have an impact, but if you go there and play your football and play it well, you'll win the game. It, it isn't always a decisive factor. It shouldn't be a decisive factor. It's something that gives Liverpool that little bit extra when they need it from time to time. But as I say, I think Mikel Arteta made such a big deal out of it that when those players went out there and experienced it, they've been thinking so much about it that it probably weighed them down and distracted from what they actually needed to do, which was go out there, play their game, be concentrated, be compact uh, and make a good go of it. The other thing is, though, is that, you know, all this time down the line, Arsenal are a much better outfit, a much stronger outfit. The confidence levels are much higher. This is a much better team. Players have developed, players have come on. You've got the likes of Zinchenko in the group who have been there, done it. You've got Gabriel Jesus who's been there, done it. Even somebody like Jorginho who's in the changing room and I hope is going to be starting from the substitutes bench. He's been in these situations. He understands these situations and that experience, I think at times like this can be invaluable. So, when I say that Arsenal need to overcome the mental obstacle that they're going to face, it's about the Anfield atmosphere. It's about the inferiority complex when it comes to Liverpool. Although Arsenal beat Liverpool earlier on in the season, that was at the Emirates Stadium. It's very, very different. Um, but it's about overcoming the Anfield factor, overcoming the mental block that that may have uh, sort of been in their way when when going out there in previous seasons. And it's also about staying switched on. You know, often in these games, they can be very, very tight. They can be very, very cagey. They can be on a knife edge. Someone makes a mistake. That changes the course of the game. And then you're in serious trouble. Then game plans go out the window. You start to open up because you're chasing a goal. That leaves you vulnerable defensively. And you can cause yourself all sorts of problems. You can be your own downfall in football. Um, in tennis, there's a phrase used a lot, unforced errors. And I think in football, that is applicable as well. Not as much as made of it because we tend to credit the person that uh, produced the moment. So if you 
win the ball back in midfield and you have a shot from 30 yards and it goes in the top corner. We're going to talk about the guy that buried one from 30 yards. We're not going to talk about the guy that made an unforced error who gave the ball away in midfield cheaply and and allowed that situation to, to develop and, and to happen. So I think mentally Arsenal have to be at it. And I've got confidence that Arsenal have come a long way in that sense. But have they come far enough? Because it's not just about going to Liverpool and going to Anfield. It's about the wider context. It's about the bigger picture now. It's about the title race. Manchester City are, of course, in action before us. They play before us this weekend and they play against the Southampton side um, that I expect them to beat. You know, I, I really, really do. I know it's away from home, 5.30, Southampton fighting for their lives. I know there are some people that may be suggesting that could be a potential banana skin. But I don't think we can... I don't think we can gear ourselves up to believe that Southampton are going to get anything because if we do, we'll be disappointed and that can impact our mood going in uh, to the game on Sunday. If Southampton were to get something against Manchester City, that could be massive for Arsenal because it would remove some of this pressure that I'm talking about uh, with regards to the need to go out and get a positive result. But mentally, Arsenal have to be at it. Obviously, technically, you have to be good enough as well. But one of the key areas I've highlighted is the mental battle around the Anfield factor, around the complex that Arsenal have had with regards to going to Anfield in recent times and Arsenal need to stay switched on. So that's my first point. Um, let's see what you guys are saying uh, in the chat uh, with regards uh, to um, to this. Uh, Steve, going back to Mikel Arteta's experiment, if you want to call it that, says, I thought it was the right idea, but not hostile enough. Practice with booze, hisses, etc." Every other game is away, so why not train for it? I just don't think you can replicate those situations, Steve. I, I don't think there's a way of replicating that on the training ground. I think you can do excellent work on the training pitch and you can turn things into habits. And if you do them enough, they will come through on the pitch. You know, talking about patterns of play, uh, positioning, things like that. But when it comes to the atmosphere within a stadium, a hostile atmosphere away from home, I don't know how you replicate that unless you're in it. So I don't think that was the right the right approach from Mikel Arteta. Listen, there's probably a million and one stories that ex-players will tell you about coaches doing wacky things to try and gain even the slightest bit of advantage, um, you know, to try and, um, you know, to try and narrow advantages that maybe they feel their opponents have. But I think... Actually, what that did, as I keep saying, I think what that did was say to the players in an indirect way, actually, you have got something to worry about here. And the atmosphere is going to be a factor. And even me as your manager, I expect that to be a problem for you when what he should be doing, I think, is taking the focus away from that. Maybe he'll feel like it's better to be prepared or he thought it was better for his players to be prepared than to be taken by surprise. But who doesn't know what they're going to get when they go to Anfield? So, yeah. Um Anyway, that's my opinion on that. Uh, St. Francis says, Harry, is it a mental block or have we just been the poorer team each time we've gone to Anfield? I think, yeah, there's there's obviously a case that says we've been the poorer team. You only need to look at the score lines, um, you know, to to make that point and, and to justify and validate that point. But I think it's the nature of the defeats that's concerned me more. So you can go to Anfield and you can lose. And that is still a, a, a respectable result in most cases for most clubs. But I think it's the nature of the defeats that concerns me. And that's what I think has left a, a lasting uh, mental 
wound, if you like, the fact that we've gone there and got absolutely battered. Um, you know, and and you know that because when we got a draw there in the was it last season in the semi final of the Carabao Cup, when we went down to ten men, when Granite Xhaka got sent off and we got the draw there, we thought, wow, what a wonderful performance! You wouldn't normally give your team so much credit for picking up a point or picking up a goalless draw. Um, you know, you you wouldn't normally give them that level of credit unless. It, unless you felt that there was no chance of you getting anything out of that game. And so actually keeping a point or getting a point or in that case, taking something into the second leg, you know, was a real, real positive. So I think it is a bit of both, mate. I think that obviously their team has been much stronger over the years. They've been the ones competing with Manchester City, not the other way around. But by the same token, um, I think that all of those defeats and the nature of those those defeats has had a lasting impact on us mentally. So the next bit, um, the next point I want to make and the next area I want to look at, and this is kind of where the tactical element comes in. I've talked a lot about mentality, about complexes, about inferiority complexes, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this is really the key because I think if Arsenal go out and play their game and play it well, then there is no reason why Arsenal shouldn't play Liverpool off the park. And I told you at the beginning that I wasn't going to roll out all the cliches. People will tell you the game is won and lost in midfield etc, etc. For me, this game is kind of going to be won or lost in midfield, but I think is going to be decided in between the lines, if that makes sense. Now, if you're listening to us on audio and you want to pop over to the YouTube channel where I've got a tactics board and I'm going to try and explain exactly what I mean here, then feel free to come over. Uh, but I will do my best to explain it on the audio platform as well. Uh, if you are watching us, I'm going to highlight the areas that I'm talking about. So you'll notice I've picked what I think will be the Arsenal 11. So I think it will be Ramsdale in goal. I think it will be a back four of White, Holding, Gabriel and Zinchenko. A midfield of Partey, Odegaard and Xhaka with Saka, Martinelli and Jesus as the front three. That's what I think Mikel's going to go with. There is a case that Leandro Trossard deserves a start. Uh, a lot of people have spoken uh, about his uh, record against Liverpool, the fact that he's got a track record of scoring goals against them, a hat-trick at Anfield not so long ago. So again, you know, it's a valid point and, and maybe we'll talk about that uh, sort of tomorrow or something. But for now, this is the team I'm going with. And the reason why I think Rob Holding's inclusion, albeit we don't have much choice at the moment, could be a bit of an issue is because I expect Liverpool to try and press us high up the pitch. Now, if I just move these counters around, uh, so you guys can see exactly what I mean. Jurgen Klopp's side for me, whoever the personnel, are going to want to play the Liverpool way. Jurgen Klopp has put a philosophy in place, a style in place that has been a part of Liverpool's uh, DNA for quite a long time. It's been incredibly successful and a lot of it is built around intensity, high pressing. And unfortunately for them, that's kind of gone out the window uh, a little bit this season. They've really struggled to keep those levels and the reason I think they've struggled to keep those levels is not necessarily because of the, the front three and not necessarily because of the back four. I think Liverpool's big problems this season have been in midfield where they just don't seem to have the legs anymore to be able to carry out what Jurgen Klopp um, has always demanded from the off. Now, is that partly Jurgen Klopp's fault in that he didn't recognise the decline of the likes of Henderson or Fabinho, for example, who on their day, make no mistake about it, could turn in wonderful performances and cause Arsenal all sorts of trouble. But something's gone wrong there. And the reason I talk about the midfield is because 
what you're going to see or what I expect to see from Liverpool is them to try and press us high up the pitch as they've always wanted to do, as they always tend to do under Jurgen Klopp. Now, if Arsenal can play around this first line of press, I think Arsenal will be in a fantastic position because I've always said to you guys that for me, the key to a pressing style is that when the first wave goes, the second wave has to be close behind it. And then the defence have to squeeze up the pitch. The key to a, a strong pressing game, and we've seen it at Arsenal all season, is the gaps between the lines, the gaps between defence and midfield, midfield and attack, have to be as minimal as possible. It is impossible for 10 outfield players to press effectively across the entire length and width of a football pitch consistently over the duration of 90 minutes. You will kill yourself. You will run yourself into the ground. It's just not physically possible. And that's why you see all the best pressing teams squeeze their opponents into a half. And all of a sudden, there's half the distance, half the length, half the width of a field to cover. Arsenal have done that remarkably well this season. And one of the keys to that has been William Saliba's introduction to the team because he, alongside Gabriel, are much more comfortable in squeezing up the pitch than any of the centre-back pairings we've had in the past. Why? Because they've got the physicality and the dominance to be able to step that bit forward and be that bit more aggressive. But also, if you drop a ball over the top of them, both have the pace, both back themselves to get back. And with Aaron Ramsdale playing kind of like a sweeper-keeper, we've been able to deal with that really, really well. Also, William Saliba, I think, is a lot more comfortable on the ball than Rob Holding and is a much better progressor of the ball. So if I were a Liverpool fan looking at this, I would be worried. I would think my front line are going to press the Arsenal back line. If Arsenal can play through that initial line, do I trust my midfield to be able to press up and get there ahead of Arsenal's midfield and shut out those passing lanes? Or do I think that Arsenal's sharpness, um, you know, ability to, to break lines, you know, Zinchenko's wonderful at doing that from left back or from in midfield. Uh, you know, Ben White's been very, very good at that. Gabriel's improved in that sense as well. So if Arsenal can beat that first line of Liverpool press, if I were a Liverpool fan, I wouldn't have any confidence in the second line, the midfield line, being able to get up quick enough to stop Arsenal progressing further. I would fancy a midfield of Odegaard, Partey and Xhaka against their midfield, whoever the three is that Jurgen Klopp picks every single day of the week. We've got more mobility. We've got more sharpness. We've got more technical ability, in my opinion, generally speaking. I know there's talk that Thiago could be back and technically he is superb. But I would fear, uh, if I was a Liverpool fan, Arsenal's ability to play out that way. Now, the other way you do it is that you know, if Liverpool do push the midfield up, then that means they've got to push the back line up as well, which leaves space in behind. And with the likes of Saka, Jesus and Martinelli, uh, who are all capable of running in behind, that could cause Liverpool problems. What I am a little bit concerned about from an Arsenal perspective is whereas normally when you've got uh, Saliba in the heart of the defence alongside Gabriel, you can vary it a little bit. So one time you'll play it out to Saliba. The next time you'll play it out to, to Gabriel. The next time you'll play it out to Ben White. You might play it out to Alexander Zinchenko. Without William Saliba in the side, I don't have as much confidence in Arsenal breaking the lines and playing the ball out from the back down our right-hand side. I would rather we went down the left because I think Gabriel and Zinchenko are much more comfortable in doing that. But does that make us predictable? Is that something that Jurgen Klopp will identify and look to to um, 
you know, look to uh, look to focus on and look to try and stop us doing. Maybe. So this is where Aaron Ramsdale, I think, comes into play. Now, ordinarily, I get so stressed and so nervous when I watch Aaron Ramsdale get the ball in goal and try silly things. When I say silly things, I mean things that traditionalists or, or slightly older football fans like myself just think are wild, right? Like trying to chip the ball over oncoming players that are closing you down. But Aaron Ramsdale might have to do this because if Liverpool squeeze up and Liverpool do apply pressure on our centre-backs and prevent us playing the ball out and then the midfield follow that up with their press, Aaron Ramsdale's passing could be key here in terms of bypassing not just one but two Liverpool lines of defence. So I think that he has got a massive, massive part to play. I think that Arsenal in one-on-one situations, you know, let's take, for example, let's say Martinelli plays on the left against Trent Alexander-Arnold. I would fancy him all day long um, to cause him problems. We've seen him cause him problems before, but, you know, we know that he is a threat going forward. And so Martinelli has to be alert. Saka, one-on-one with Robertson. You'd fancy Saka to cause him trouble. But we also know that Robinson, uh, Robertson, I beg your pardon, can get up and down the pitch and cause problems. There's going to be a lot of individual duels and a lot of individual battles. But for me, if Arsenal's passing is crisp and is on point and they settle down nice and early, they don't get caught up in the occasion and in the nerves of it all. I think if Arsenal can pass concisely and and break lines at the earliest possible opportunities and get onto this Liverpool back line, I think Arsenal could cause them a lot of problems. Arsenal tend to attack nowadays. Uh, with what is essentially a front five. You know, Saka down the right, Martinelli on the left, Odegaard and Xhaka uh, sort of supporting, getting into the box far more frequently than they used to. And obviously, Gabriel Jesus. And the the fact that we can vary up so much in those areas, Jesus can go left, Martinelli can come inside, Saka can go central um, if he wants to, Odegaard can go on the overlap on the outside of him. Arsenal have a lot of options and a lot of fluidity in their movement, um, which is going to be really, really interesting. So tactically, I think Arsenal have the upper hand here. And that might sound unfair to Liverpool fans, if there are any Liverpool fans listening in. But I think that is a fair thing to say based on the way the seasons uh, have gone so far for both of these sides. What I would say is that the Anfield factor, even though I've talked about Mikel Arteta maybe overplaying that, it is a factor and that could have an impact. And that's why I think the start to the game for Arsenal is so key. If they can start confidently, if they can start, um, you know, with a purpose and if they can silence the early enthusiasm uh, of the Anfield crowd, then I think Arsenal would be in a good position to build and go on and potentially win this game. But I think it's about breaking the lines. I think it's about not falling foul to Liverpool's press. And I think once Arsenal get past that first line, Uh, of the press, either the Liverpool midfield will think twice about engaging and that means naturally they drop off, which allows Arsenal to have the ball um, in between the lines of Liverpool's midfield and Liverpool's attack, which, you know, means Arsenal should have a lot of the ball, then great. If the midfield do engage and Arsenal can break that line too, then again, that space in between uh, the lines of Liverpool's midfield and Liverpool's back line become the key part to this game. Equally, this could happen to us. We know that we like to press high up the pitch and we know that Liverpool have the talent also to be able to bypass lines and to move the ball forward quickly. Arsenal will try and play a high line. They will. Um, That's the way they've played all season. And with William Saliba in the side, as I keep saying to you, I feel a lot more confident 
about us doing that. With Rob Holding, not so much. And that's why if I were the Liverpool manager, I would veer away from what Jurgen Klopp has done over the years. Now, you might think, why would he do that? You know, he's been playing this way for so, so long. Um, this is how Liverpool play. And he'd be going against his own philosophy. And maybe that's not what the Anfield crowd would like to see. But genuinely, if I were Liverpool and I were looking at how I could win this game tactically, and given what I've said about how important it's going to be that they defend the space in between the lines really well and that they prevent Arsenal, who have got lots of line-breaking passes in that team. I would say that if I were Liverpool, I'd set up in this way. I would set up in a much more compact style. I would sit on the edge of my box. I wouldn't have too high a line. Maybe you'd argue that that's inviting Arsenal on and that is setting the wrong pattern for the game. But I think what Liverpool do have is pace, in Mo Salah, in Darwin Nunez, in Cody Gakpo if he plays, in Jota if he plays, Luis Diaz is rumoured to be uh, close to a return as well or, or is back, I'm not 100% sure. But Arsenal playing a high line with Rob Holding would interest me as a manager if I were trying to find a way to hurt them. Drop balls over the top of him, get him running back towards his own goal, get him up against the physicality of Darwin Nunez, for example, who has come to the Premier League, is a player of a huge physical stature and is often talked about as, um, as a bit of a target man in some senses, but he's incredibly effective running in behind. He's incredibly good at doing that. So if I were Liverpool, that's how I'd approach it. I'd sit that bit deeper. I'd try and soak it up for as long as possible. Um, and I'd try and hit Arsenal on the break. I don't think Jurgen Klopp's going to do that. And that's why I think that it's important that Arsenal can break lines quickly and that Arsenal can operate in those spaces in between those lines. Um, but that's how I'd approach it if I were Liverpool. So those are the things I'd be thinking about now if I were Mikel Arteta. But yeah, um, let's see what you guys uh, are saying in the chat box uh, as well. Uh, Luke says, logic dictates we should win, but we all know football isn't logical sometimes. Agreed. Um, some of you suggesting that Arsenal should play with a back three. Um I I disagree with that quite strongly. I think that Arsenal have played a certain way all season and have done it to really, really good effect. I don't think this is a game to be going into experimenting. It's not like we've reverted to that formation at points in key games and it's helped us get over the line. Yeah, there's been a few times where we've plugged Rob Holding in uh, at the back to help us and be that additional centre-back, but it's not generally the way Arsenal want to play. So, I, I'm not keen on that idea. Um, I, I think that, you know, we've got to go and play our game. And actually, what the, the case I would also make is that a lot of the time Arsenal do morph into a back three. Um, if I just go back uh, to the uh, tactics board once again, I'll just show you what I mean. So often, if Arsenal are uh, looking to break down an opponent and they set up something like this, Odegaard operating in the half space, Partey, squeezing up Xhaka uh, in the left-sided half space. What you'll often see is, um, you know, Zinchenko joining in with Partey in midfield and then Gabriel just shifting slightly left in order to hold um, that space down the left-hand side as well or be able to go out and engage if he needs to. That normally means that Ben White tucks in. Equally, if Zinchenko is that little bit deeper, you might see Ben White going on the overlap and again, Arsenal becomes uh, a bit of a back three just in a slightly different way. So, 
Arsenal will do that. Arsenal will shapeshift in accordance to how the game is going. We've seen them do that uh, for a long, long time. So, you know, you could argue that it is kind of a back three when we're in a possession. But to play a flat back three from the off, I think would be a, a huge risk. It's not something I would do. Um, Luke says, um, George Graham did it in 89, though. Good to have a plan B. It is good to have a plan B. I just, I think football nowadays is very, very different. So I remember when I was sort of growing up, there were a lot of coaches and a lot of managers that were reactive. So they'd look at what their opposition were doing and they try and figure out ways of nullifying them. And I think at the top level, you even saw that, you know, you think back to some of the great Italian sides, uh, you look at how they used to try and nullify opponents and the way they would do that. Um, it was seen as being proactive, but actually you were being reactive. And I think as football's developed and as football's changed, we see less of the plan Bs and we see less of the reactive uh, styles. And what we see more now is the proactive style. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. But I think Mikel Arteta would be silly to go away from what's worked. And I also don't expect them to go away from it either. I think Mikel Arteta will be telling these players, this is a big opportunity to go out there and make one hell of a statement and show everybody that we're serious and show everybody that we've overcome the issues we've had here in the past and that mentally we're in a much better, a much stronger place and that this is our title and we're going to go on and do it. Might not be the right approach. We'll only know that on Sunday evening, but I'm pretty certain that's the way he's going to go and that's the message he's going to want to put across. So as I say, um, people will tell you that the game will be won in the midfield. Obviously, that is valid to a point and, and it makes a lot of sense in that sense. But for me, the game will be won in between the lines rather than just a straight up three versus three midfield battle. Liverpool's vulnerabilities is something I wanted to talk about a little bit. I've talked about their inability, in my opinion, this season to follow up the first line of the press with the right levels of energy. Um, and that leaves a gap. And then once people break through those lines, they often have a lot of joy. And I think they leave just massive spaces on the football pitch. Um, they don't want to be pragmatic. They want to play the way that served them so well over the years, but they just don't have the legs to do it anymore. And they just don't have the players to do it anymore. And and I think they're really, really suffering at the moment. I watched the game um, against Chelsea the other night or kind of half had it on in the background. I watched the first half and thought it was abysmal. Uh, to be honest with you, I remember looking at Jurgen Klopp's team selection and thinking, what is he playing at? You know, what is he doing here? And at, at first, my first reaction was great. He's resting everyone for Sunday. But then the more I think about it, the more I think that maybe Jurgen Klopp was trying to spark a reaction by saying, you lot was shit at Man City. We need to change it up and nobody's position is safe. Did it really work? Probably not because I thought they were equally as bad. At Chelsea, the only difference was there wasn't a side good enough on the other end uh, to punish them and put them to the sword. Just bloody knocked my phone on the floor. Oh, well, anyway. Um, also, I think when you change system and when you change formation, just going back to that point that you guys uh, were making about the potential of a, uh, of a back three, um, I think that's something you need to be training on for a long, long time. Have we been doing that? We We don't know. We're not privy to that, but I would imagine probably not. So, um, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't take the risk. The risk. Uh, no, I definitely wouldn't take the risk. Right. Uh, we're going to bring you a quick message from our sponsors, NordVPN. And then we're going to take some of you guys' questions 
and thoughts in the live chat. So start filling up the chat box now. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with our good friends over at NordVPN, named one of Times 2022's best inventions. What is a virtual private network then? That's what VPN stands for. It gives you the ability uh, to log in via virtual networks, via virtual private networks that protect your data whilst you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi and allow you to access things, content, opportunities, whatever, streams uh, from uh, virtual locations. And that can open up a world of possibilities. So we're all sports fans here. We're all football fans. And how frustrating is it sometimes when you scroll through Twitter and you're looking for the highlights from a game or the goals from a game and it says, this content is not available in your country. Well, if you're logged in via a VPN, a virtual private network set in another territory, you'll be able to access those clips. You'll be able to access a different inventory on Netflix. You'll be able to access streams, content, uh, offers that are only available in certain other locations. That is one of the major, major benefits of having a NordVPN subscription. You can also use that to purchase flights at cheaper prices because we all know that sometimes when you're booking from where you're going, it can be that bit cheaper or vice versa. You can access subscriptions at different prices based on accessing it from different countries. Uh, and of course, uh, you can get access um, to films that aren't yet out in your country. There's so many different things you can do. And as people of the internet these days, uh, you know, you will certainly benefit from having a NordVPN subscription. And it's something I found brilliant. I've used this example a few times as we've been talking about it. But for me, one of the big things is I quite enjoy watching Greek TV sometimes. Sometimes I want to check out uh, the big match going on in Cyprus or in Greece. And I can't access it from the UK because it is geo-blocked. So if I log into my NordVPN and I change my virtual location to Cyprus or Greece, I am able to then access those streams and able to watch that content and enjoy it all whilst protecting my data at the same time. You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash chronicles AFC to get a huge discount off of your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. I know a lot of you in the chat already use it, uh, so why not get yourselves a hell of a discount using the Chronicles of Aguna uh, code? You'll be supporting us. You'll also be supporting uh, or, or helping your needs and, uh, and supporting your bank balance, basically, uh, by getting it all a lot cheaper. We thank NordVPN for their support of the podcast. It really does mean a lot. Um, and uh, this offer is going to be running for around about just over another week, I think. So get involved. Check it out. Let me know what you think. If you've got any questions, then please do get in contact. Uh, thank you to NordVPN. Check it out. Okay, let's get some of those questions. Let's get some of your thoughts from the live chat. Uh, a big thank you to the people over at NordVPN for their kind sponsorship of the podcast. Let's take this one from Barb's who says, don't ever think that due to Liverpool's current dip in form, it will be an easy game for Arsenal. It takes 100% focus and uh, tactics, uh, a tactical display to come out victorious at Anfield. Yep, I agree with you, mate. I agree with you. Um, we shouldn't take this game lightly. I certainly am not doing that. Um, certainly not. Uh, what else have we got? Um, 
Paul Nell says, uh, I'll be signing up for my vacation in Cancun so I can watch the game at Anfield. There you go. Um, as I say, this offer is going to be running for an, about another week and a half. So uh, do get involved in that nice and quickly. It, it does um, it does have an expiration date on it. As far as I know at the moment, will it be extended? I don't know. But at this moment in time, it was only a two-week promotion. So do uh, check it out. Uh, Luke says, uh, were you surprised by how many changes Klopp made when Liverpool played Chelsea on Tuesday? Yeah, I kind of briefly touched on this. Um, but yeah, I, I did find it a bit of a surprise. And my initial reaction was, you beep, like, why are you taking our game seriously and not this one? Um, but I think he was trying to send a message. It didn't really work, clearly. Uh, but I think that's what he was trying to do. Uh, going back to the Nord thing, just quickly, uh, Steve Stone, when talking about matches, like 3 p.m. Saturday kickoffs, for example. You know where I'm going with this, son. Uh, Paul says, um, do you start Trossard? Me personally, no, um, because I think our best front three is still Saka, Martinelli and Jesus. I think that's got the best balance. I think it gives us the most intensity. Um, I think the connections that you have in that front three that have developed over the course of the season and credit to Trossard because he's come in and, and built those bonds with a lot of players as well. But I just think the best front three that we have is is the one I've mentioned. So just about misses out uh, on the starting eleven for me. Um Moss says, do you think the first goal wins it at Anfield? Or could our cardiac Guna lads do another comeback if they go down? I don't necessarily think the first goal wins it, but I think the first goal will be huge. I think it will be huge. Um, Steve also asks, is a draw at Anfield a disaster? I, I don't think you can ever say a draw at Anfield is a disaster, but in this context you could look at it if we did draw as the moment, assuming Manchester City beat Southampton, you could look at it as the moment we surrendered control of the title race and gave it back to Manchester City or gave it to Manchester City. Because as I say, that then puts them in the in the position of control. Now, they might not go on and win every single game, but if they did and we drew at Anfield, there'd be nothing we could do about stopping them. That, that, that The title would be theirs. I expect them to have a much better goal difference than us come the end of the season because of the fi fixtures they have in comparison to the ones we do. And so a draw off the back of a Manchester City victory does give them control. And so it, it doesn't mean that that's it and it's not going to swing back the other way, but it, it would feel like a significant moment in the title race, I think. Um, but in terms of the result in isolation... I think at any point you take a draw at Anfield and think that was pretty respectable. So it just goes to show the level of team that we're up against in Manchester City um, and uh, and how small the margin for error is, basically. Uh, Jared says, do you think the best way to beat these top teams is set up in a way to frustrate them, wait for a mistake and hit on the counter-attack, e.g. Brentford versus City or Spurs versus City? I think there are certain teams, Jared, that are set up to play that way and have the personnel to play that way. I don't think we're one of them. Um, and so for me, I, I think that would be the wrong way to approach this game. When I say that I want us to go out and play our normal game, it doesn't mean I want us to be silly or it doesn't mean I want us to overcommit or take unnecessary risks. I still think there's a balance that you need to find when you go to somewhere like Anfield. Um but that doesn't mean you abandon your game altogether. I think 
Arsenal need to play their style, but also need to recognise when they're going through a rocky patch in the game, which I think will inevitably happen. And I think that if they can recognise when that patch comes, be that little bit more compact during that period of time and weather the storm, I think that could be key. So it's about being adaptable and it's about playing the game, not allowing the game to play you, if that makes sense. But as an overall uh, sort of point, I don't think I would like to see Arsenal go and adopt an approach like the one Brentford did or like the one Spurs did, because I just don't think it's our game. Brentford will do that every time they go away to one of the big sites. Spurs will do that against most of the big sides and certainly did that under Antonio Conte against the big sides. Arsenal haven't been brought up that way. And so it would be unnatural for them and it would go against what's been drummed into them week in, week out. So in their cases, I think it's perfectly acceptable and probably the right thing to do, but not for us, uh, in my opinion. Let's take a few more questions. Johan says, with talk of Calvert-Lewin's availability in the summer, price dependent, would you consider that a decent option for a plan B striker, given he won't feature much anyway with his injury record? I, I think the, the dominant Calvert-Lewin ship, for me anyway, sailed a long time ago. Um, I'd like us to bring in a more physical striker. And when I say physical, I don't mean puts himself about. Gabriel Jesus does plenty of that. But I mean a bigger striker, a target man, someone with an aerial presence and an aerial threat. I'd quite like to see us add that um, to the squad. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, though, is not the one I'd, I'd, I'd turn to, if I'm being honest. Um, just doesn't do it for me. I've got to be honest with you. Um, very unreliable with regards to injuries, talk of other issues as well, which is not, you know, I'm not trying to hammer the guy. I just, I just don't. Um, yeah, I just, I'm just not feeling it, um, to be honest with you. Uh, as I say, maybe two years ago, if you'd have asked me that question, I'd have looked at it differently. Uh, but right now, no, not, not interested. Um, not interested in Dominic Calvert-Lewin. That might, that might annoy some people. Some people might disagree, but no, not for me. Uh, Moss says, what do you think of these green kits making the rounds? Uh, tributes to Terry Nils 82, 83 side, he asks. Um, I'm assuming this is the one you're talking about. Let me just share uh, Tom Canton's tweet from earlier on. My good friend Tom uh, has already uh, commented on this on social media. He said, to go from this, talking about Arsenal's black kit, I think it's this is the proposed away kit, by the way, Moss, not the third one. He says, to go from this might be one of the worst decisions in footballing history. The new one looks like some kind of jaundiced zebra. <laughs> I mean, the black away kit is the greatest kit Arsenal have produced in the history of time, in my opinion. That thing that is next to it in that image, and if you're listening on audio, I'm sure you've seen it doing the rounds, is horrendous. And that would be one of the worst Arsenal kits ever produced. So I can't get behind that. I can't support that kit. Um, no, no way. Not for me. Not having it. Not having it. I just don't like it. I think it's disgusting. Uh, let's take this one from Theo. He says, uh, Harry, I believe, and I'm hoping for a win at Anfield, I think the score will be 2-1 to the Arsenal. Then with City, honestly, I would be happy with a draw there. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, as long as we, you know, going to City is going to be really, really tough. You know, if we need to go there and get a point, then so be it. But I'd love to be able to go there and know that losing would would allow them to close the gap, but not allow them to leapfrog us. I think that's that would be a really nice cushion and advantage to have um, going into that game. So, yeah, I'd love us to go and win um, 
at Anfield and and I'd love us to then, you know, avoid defeat at Manchester City. But these are all uh, dream scenarios at the moment. There's a lot of football to be played in. And the other thing with this Premier League, you know, I highlighted at the start of the show that there are fixtures that people are looking at and waiting for us to slip up in. But there are also fixtures that, on paper, people will say, well, if you want to win the Premier League, you've got to win it. It's a foregone conclusion. It should be easy that I don't think are going to be easy because of the context in which we're playing these games. Teams fighting for their lives down at the bottom of the Premier League. This is going to be incredibly nerve-wracking and incredibly difficult. And I think you've just got to take it um, one week at a time. One week at a time. Uh, Christoph says, uh, do you think we could go for Piotr Zielinski, um, type, uh, a Piotr Zielinski type midfielder as a Polish player? I would love him in the Arsenal side. Uh, Christoph is uh, Polish, I'm assuming. Um, I like Zielinski. Um, I really do. Um, I think he's a fantastic player. Um, I- I'm a massive fan of what Napoli have done uh, this season. So obviously, on that basis, um, you know, I'm going to be a little bit biased there. Um, you know, he's played 28 times in the Serie A for them this season. Eight assists, three goals. Um, he's been he's been incredible. 28 years old. Not sure I would go out and buy Piotr Zielinski per se because of his age profile and a couple of other factors. But I think that type of player is, is one that we could do with. And I'd be happy to see him play in one of the eight roles, for example. Uh, let's take this one from Richard who says what do you think of Jonathan David Moss is going to come at me I don't think he's ready for Arsenal um, I, this, we always have this debate and we always have this discussion what have you done you've opened the can of worms Richard um, but look if I was looking for a striker in the summer I'm not going to really go rushing out for Jonathan David I, I would want to give following Balogun a go before I look at uh, Jonathan David uh, they're doing it in the same league so how can you make a case that one is significantly better than the other um, Jonathan David's been doing it for longer been around that bit longer um, but I think a lot of it is about profiles as well and and how you plug these players into our current system and I think you've got to really hone in on these players break it down work out what are their key attributes how do they fit um with us um, and and how do we use them to to progress as a team? Jonathan David, great. You know, he's having another good season uh, in the French league. But as I've said to you guys before, and this is not something that I'm only sort of referring to exclusively when discussing Jonathan David. I think this is something I say quite regularly. I said it about uh, Buendia when we were linked with him. I've said it about players from the French league that we've been linked with before. Don't be obsessed by just a goal return. Because that goal return won't always translate from League One to the Premier League. So you have to look at the bigger picture and I think you have to dive in deeper. And I don't see Jonathan David being the perfect fit for our system. Uh, so unfortunately, not for me. Um, I think he scores goals, great. But bring him to the Premier League, is he going to score half as many goals? Probably not. He's going to be... Um, someone that Lille are looking for a lot of money for because of his goal record in recent seasons. So is it a worthwhile investment? Is it good value? Probably not. Um, Is he the type of target man striker that I'd like us to see add to our armory? No, he's more of the Gabi Jesus type, the type that likes to run in behind. 
although Jesus can drop deep, but in terms of someone that has that ability to run in behind, that's why Jesus is so good because he can, he can drop deep and he can do all of that, but he can also run in behind. And Martinelli can run in behind and Saka can run in behind. And those two wide players can do that because of Jesus's movement off the ball and the way he drops in field. It's all about the parts moving together and, and, and you know, the, the combinations. Is there any guarantee that Jonathan David comes in and fits into that? I haven't seen enough to suggest that he would. And therefore, I can't say let's go and spend crazy amounts of money on him when we got a player in uh, following Balligan who's not a million miles away from him in the goal-scoring charts as far as Lee Gurn is concerned. Uh, following Balogun, a couple of years younger as well. I think he's got two less goals than Jonathan David this season. So, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But not one I'd be, I'd be rushing to sign. Right, guys, uh, we are going to leave it there. A massive thank you to every single one of you for tuning in. I really, really, really appreciate it, as always. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. Uh, there's only 55 likes on the board. Come on, let's get that up to 100 at the very minimum. Um, big hello to everybody listening on audio as well. Please do leave us a review uh, if you haven't done so already. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't. Help us on our journey towards 30,000 and we'll be back tomorrow with another piece of content and then we'll be keeping you across all the Arsenal goings on uh, over the course of the weekend and of course reacting to the big game uh, as soon as we possibly can after the full time whistle. Huge weekend this could be. Don't get too obsessed with Manchester City. I said this last weekend. Don't convince yourself. Don't wind yourself up to believe that they're going to drop points against Southampton. If they do, it's a bonus. But what you don't want to do is uh, build yourself up for that. See them go and win convincingly, which they probably will do. And then uh, have that looming or hanging over you going into Sunday's game. The nerves are bad enough. The last thing you need is something else to worry about. Thank you all so, so much. I'll see you all soon. Thank you for tuning in. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon.